As rural hospitals continue to struggle, facing unprecedented industry-wide challenges in addition to the rural-specific challenges they've been managing for decades, effective change management is more crucial than ever. So, how do rural hospitals develop and execute a change management strategy to support their teams through tumultuous times? With a thoughtful plan, careful messaging, and a grounded perspective. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to episode 128 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. So, Rachel, our guest today is someone who is an expert in supporting rural hospitals through intense periods of change, growth, and challenges. That's right. We are talking with someone who specializes in helping with messaging, planning, strategy, and execution in this area. So to start, Letitia, as a reminder for our listeners, just give us a the quick overview uh, background about yourself and your work. Sure. I'm Letitia Fesher. I'm a vice president at Girard and also the practice lead uh, for the public and community-focused health systems practice. So I work with a lot of community and rural healthcare providers, um, and I understand the, the differences and nuances that rural healthcare providers um, have from other larger facilities, both for-profit, non-for-profit, academics. Gerard works with all, all types of health systems, but I'm laser-focused in those areas. And as a reminder for our listeners, if you have not listened to our part one with Letitia when we talked about change management um, communications in general, but today we have a bit of a different focus. So let's get right into that. Um, so mergers and acquisitions always come with a difficult transition, right, as hospitals are adjusting to a new company's culture. A lot of times the culture of a small hospital or a small town is very unique and there's a strong identity there because of its history and because of just that kind of close-knit atmosphere. So it's very different when another company comes in and becomes an integral part of the system and what that hospital is doing. So when you meet with hospitals who maybe they're at the very beginning, they've literally just made the decision, okay, we're going to merge or we're going to be acquired. Um, what kind of what state do you find them in in terms of culture, trust, and also the perception from the organization's workforce, if any of them already happen to know what's going on? Yeah, and let me talk about the two different um, situations that I'm oftentimes engaged with a, a health system. One, their board and leadership have have already determined that they must pursue some sort of partnership or acquisition, like you mentioned, or also oftentimes because these leadership teams find themselves in a, a financial situation where they can no longer operate on their own. So they know they need some sort of, of help. The other situation is when that leadership team just wants to explore the options. They just want to start mm. to put their feelers out um, to understand what another health system could offer. And so that goes to the questions that you were just asking around culture and trust and perception. Um, so they can oftentimes you know, find those health systems that do align with them in those areas. Um, I also want to make sure your listeners know that there's lots of different types of arrangements um, when it comes right. to what we just call a partnership, but that could mean an acquisition with some sort of capital commitment or purchase price that's associated there or significant donation to your, your um, health system foundation or it could be something like a, a management agreement where they're just taking, um, where they're just working with you to 
provide those shared services or a strategic partnership arrangement. There's lots of different types of, of partnerships. And mm-hmm. I think when a board and a leadership team is really thinking about what is next for the health system, they should really keep their minds open to this doesn't have to be a full acquisition where we lose complete control. When they put out those feelers, they should really be thinking about it from what do we want to retain here um, and ask for that and then see what comes back. And then as part of any type of due diligence, um, that's when you can go back and forth. But but I think as a leadership team and a board that you should be um, at least firm in some way on what you want to retain and maintain for your health system because you know it and you know what your people want and need. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a good opportunity, and JJ, you can um, expand on this too, for us to mention, because as anyone who's listened to like 30 seconds of an episode of Rural Health Rising knows that JJ and I like to diss on the mergers and acquisitions because we don't see them as the best way for rural hospitals to be sustainable and provide the same level of care that their community needs as they can when they're independent and have local governance. Um, That said, we also recognize that there are times when the option truly becomes stay independent or close. And the only way to get out of that is with a merger or an acquisition. Um, But to your point, there are opportunities to do that, uh, to, to not fully merge or be acquired in a way that maintains local control, because that's the the real issue mm-hmm. that at least I have with the mergers and acquisitions is the lack of local control yeah. and the lack of local decision making. So, JJ, do you want to kind of expand on that, too? Because I think it's important to clarify for our listeners, like, where exactly yeah. we I mean, stand I know on that this, because uh, we talk I about beat it all the time. M&As all the time. But uh, I can also say that that there is an appropriate uh, use uh, in, in, you know, let's trace it back. So in rural communities, they love their hospitals. They're usually tight knit, you know, a community. There's usually the board president uh, is, you know, involved in, in that community. And the board members are obviously well invested. And much like school districts who can never consolidate in rural communities, it doesn't happen. They want their identity. They want their individual sports teams. They want their mascots. They want all of those things. Uh, it has been a significant barrier in, in rural communities for school um, unification. It's the same thing that exists in healthcare in rural communities as well, because there is a fear of losing identity, local control. And to your point and Letitia's point is that uh, that doesn't have to happen, you know, and, and I think that's where... Uh, Letitia's group right. can come in and help organize it. Now, there are MA groups that I have met with who will do absolute everything they can do to be opposite of what I've just explained. Uh, they believe in, you know, holistic mm-hmm. takeover and it's got to be clean. You got to go through a new C-suite. Uh, those type of uh, MA companies that I've met with Uh, It's dangerous. They rock the fabric of communities. What Letitia, and she's explaining what her group does, which is where I uh, see buy-in, is, all right, you've made the decision. Uh, There's been an agreed-upon sale price. Now we have to we have to integrate this into the community, and that there are proper ways to do that. And for me, you know, knowing that several hospitals, even in our region, Rachel, right now have less than, you know, three, four days cash on hand, they're not going to make it. Right. So the right. community needs healthcare. 
And so what is the best way to get it? Well, you can right. go through the M&A approach, which is uh, the, the, the folks I described earlier, which is, you know, get rid of everything, C-suite it, uh, make sure that you, you got those services, look at only a transitional plan, very small window, uh, fly your patients out who need uh, tertiary care, uh, and devastate the community with job loss or litigious company, which is let's ease the burden. Yeah, and JJ, to pick up on that, uh, you know, most of these organizations that I work with, um, I'm I'm usually on the sell side, right? Because it's the rural yeah. hospitals that are looking for the partner. These are the hospitals that already have the trust of your community. They already have the yep. trust of your employees. So the culture and the perception is already there for your facility, for your rural healthcare facility. The trust is not there for your the acquiring partner. Right. And that's where the the work is that that we focus on to help you lay the groundwork first on why you even need to make this change, why the community, um, uh, why the hospital and the leadership and the board has determined that this is the right step for the community and for the employees to keep healthcare here, to be able to talk about that. So it's, it doesn't feel like they're being forced into a situation. This is a decision that you all are making for your community. Absolutely. but then to take that next step and introduce the partner in a way that we chose this partner because we feel like this is a, the right fit for our community. They're going to help us expand. And so, you know, we, we'll talk about this more later on like, you know, who's the right messenger here? There, it, it's you all, you know, it's this yeah. is a decision that you've made. So you don't close your door. So you do provide services. So you do provide benefits to your employees and to, for you all to introduce the partner in a way that we picked them because we felt like they were a right fit for us. Absolutely. So the next question then is once that decision has been made, Letitia, what, you know, what advice would you give hospital leaders who are, let's say in the rural setting, who are now faced with, I'm not going to, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to say sell the concept to the community, but there is a part of that. There is a part of yeah. we, we've got to get buy-in. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to those hospital leaders who are experiencing these changes? So, you know, it can be tumultuous at times. It can be like, well, do I have a job, you know, and does my C-suite have a job? You know, what should they do when they decide that it's necessary uh, and it's time uh, that they do this or their doors will close? I mean, can you give us some direction on where you fit in in some of those discussions? Yeah. I I mean, the best time to come in is before they've even made the decision while they're thinking about the decision. Mm. Um, And, you know, sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't, but these conversations with the leadership and the board should be, should be had well in advance of any announcement before any announcement or, or discussions around bankruptcy or closure or, or merger acquisition, we should be talking about what we're doing as a health system to to pivot. And this is what we talked about the last time we talked too, right? And we're on change management. We should be talking about changes and things and mm-hmm. in, in the headwinds that we're facing before we have to make some big type of pivot or transition or change. Um, remaining independent is fine if you can survive that financially, but it's up to the leadership to, de- to determine you know, whether or when is the right inflection point, right? To have that Mm -hmm. partnership discussion. And you don't want it to be when you only have the three or four days of cash on hand, like you were saying earlier, JJ, you want it to be when you have more of a position of strength, right? When you can, Mm -hmm. you can negotiate Mm -hmm. more favorable terms for whatever that partnership looks like when you have more to bring to the table as an organization. Right. 
And so when we do talk about, you know, why a part, why would why we would even want to partner, we need to talk about that, you know, perhaps we can get better reimbursement rates and then we can do more with with that um, with with that money that we can offer better compensation and benefits packages for our employees. We can increase our specialists or access to other services that we don't currently have today. You know, really thinking about it from the point of this will actually help us not only maintain services here, but increase what we already offer. So when rural hospitals are experiencing this huge change, how can they help their team prepare for that new management structure, whether it's a management agreement or a full-on, you know, wholesale acquisition um, for, you know, the whole kit and caboodle? How can they help their team prepare for that and for the potential changes that are coming? Because I think a lot of the apprehension comes from, and rightfully so, the fact that rightfully so, when there's any sort of combination of entities, there's going to be changes, especially on the personnel side. So you're going to see certain efficiencies that are created and therefore certain positions are no longer necessary And there may or may not be somewhere else in the organization for the person filling position X. And, you know, so there's a lot of, I think, um, trepidation that can come from the from the staff side, from the team members, um, really at every level to to JJ's point, even the C-suite and the and the executive leadership. Um, So how can how can the leadership team help prepare their team for this transition, even even before, you know, the whole situation with preparing the community for it, because you first you got to prepare your own team, right? Right. Yeah. And a couple things here, you know, one is no deal is the same. No acquisition is the same. And even if it's with the same, you know, pick uh, example, a large for profit organization acquiring uh, a facility, that acquisition will even be different for a different one that they then acquire across the country somewhere else. And mostly that's because of the um, due diligence process when the management and the leadership team are saying, nope, we are not going to, you know, give into that, you know, cross that off. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, as leaders are thinking about even the negotiation process, don't come into it thinking that everything is the same that it's going to be the same here, even if this same hospital acquired a hospital not that far or long ago um, or far away, you know, it's nothing is ever the same. But I also think just as a, a management team, you can be thinking about communicating this with, uh, with a few, you know, rules in your, in your pocket. One mm-hmm. is to, and I like to do this. I like, I did this last time too. I like to tick through a few rules to always keep in mind when you're going through this process um, one is to own the message, like determine your why and, and communicate that with the rest of your leadership team. And I'll sing from that same songbook. You know, you determine together why you're doing this and let's, let's talk about that. And then let's make that our message. This is what we're going to communicate to our employees and our community on why we're doing this. So own that message. Don't let anyone else own it for you. Don't let anyone else say, well, this um, this is uh, this was a uh, an M and A deal that went wrong, you know, twenty miles down the road. So this is going to happen to us. No, own your message. You also need to understand management teams that emotion always trumps facts. Mm-hmm. So even you're going to own that message, but at the end of the day, it's going to impact your employees and your community in ways that you never thought possible. 
There will always be landmines. There will always be things that come up. So always understand that you need to meet people where they are because this is a very emotional thing. This is a rural community hospital um, that people have a real ownership for. So just to take that into consideration as you go throughout this whole process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Earlier, we were talking about who is owning the message, who's the one talking about this. The messenger is the message. So who is the right person and the people to be out there talking about it? Is it your... Yeah, it's a great your point. CEO. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes, Sometimes it's not. <laughs> and we need to leave egos at the door, right? When it yes. comes to that, yes. it might be a doctor. It might be one of our nurses. Um, yeah. So I think we need to also think about who our, our quote unquote spokespeople are um, that may not be in the C-suite, who may be carrying our message because people will listen to them more than they will listen to um, our CEO. Right, right. That's not that true. you're just a suit, JJ, but true. sometimes people do see that as just the suit. And they feel like it's not close no. enough. No, uh, listen, I, I... And so, yeah, so that perception could yeah. be very separate. I was We're, called a suit twice today. And yesterday, someone made I fun of you for wearing it. a tie like you were too it. formal, so... And so today, I didn't wear a tie for the, for the <laughs> second time in my career. Second time in my career. Just because I'm wore out. Well, sometimes you are the right. Sometimes you are the right messenger, the right groups of people. But for the nurses on the floor, perhaps it's their nurse manager. So we need to to prepare them to be able to have those tough conversations too. That's right. All right. So let's get into the weeds here a little bit. Um, So when change management is at its best and a hospital merger or acquisition goes well from your perspective, uh, in other words, everyone's lined up um, from the outside. What, tell me, what does it look like from the inside? How do we know it's healthy and, um, you know, what are the signs and, and the, and to a certain extent, the symptoms, uh, that are resulting from change that has gone very well? Well, I mean, it's a thriving culture, right? It's, you have happy people, um, you have people who feel informed, um, you have your, your team members, um, your middle level managers out there talking, dialoguing, listening, um, every step of this process is, is important from laying the groundwork to the why. So communi- I always say communicate first internally, right? We always need to tell our people first before we tell anyone else, before we send out a press release, because the last sure. thing at the last thing, anything, regardless of any kind of announcement, we don't want our employees to find out anything about our hospital on the front page of your paper. Right. They need to hear it from you first. Mm-hmm. So in order to gain that trust, you need to make sure that you are communicating internally in a way um, that makes sense to them. Um, And so, you know, the real work begins after the deal closes and you're at that integration process. Well, what are we doing to ensure that we're integrating in in the right ways? What are we communicating to our employees, things that they need to know, and also communicating to those people who are in impacted departments, like you were saying, Rachel, there might be um, there might be departments who are impacted more uh, because of the the shared systems model than others. Mm-hmm. So, how are we dialoguing with them and listening to them, doing focused attention on them, and then doing broader communications to the rest of the organization so they know? Mm-hmm. But doing a focused efforts in the areas that need it. Um, it it's not a it's, it'll never be a one size fits all approach yeah. when we're talking about communicating, engaging, but if we do it well, people will feel like they're heard, they're part of the process and your culture will thrive. 
You know, I want to ask you a follow-up to that on the opposite side of that, Letitia. So let's say that uh, externally uh, it made sense. It looks good. We move forward with the M&A, whatever it is, whatever the structure is. But we get into it and we realize we are two different people. We're two different Mm -hmm. cultures. We're two different worlds. We cannot mesh. I have recently read of stories where hospitals are trying to unwind relationships in in M&As. When is the appropriate time to say, we gave it our best? And I know it's a hard question, but we gave it our best. And is it better to do it on the front end or is it better to do it after a certain time frame? You know, you go into it and and the cultures just aren't meshing. What what advice would you give? Maybe someone in, in listening to this podcast across the country right now is going through that, that the merger is not going well. And I had one particular CEO tell me, uh, not too long ago, like this was a very bad move, um, but they yeah. don't know how to get out of it. I gave him some advice. Yeah. Probably didn't <laughs> well, I'd love to hear your advice, JJ. <laughs> yeah, you probably wouldn't, but... Uh, I probably know what it exactly. is. Exactly. <laughs> but but could you walk us through what... I mean, I know that most likely the consultants or the folks that did the, the acquisition would say, well, we just have to keep doing it. We have to keep trying. We got to make it work. We got to make it work. But... If it's not a true relationship with cohesion, I don't know how you make it work. But give us some insight. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. One, um, the deal might fall apart before you even get to mm-hmm. deal close, right? You may be going through the due diligence and you're like, oh, this is just not working. Do we just go ahead and sign a DA and just see how it goes or, yeah. or not? I'd say in that situation, keep talking. Um, don't go, rush into signing a, a DA until you feel like, you um, and your board are at a comfortable place. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would also recommend during that process between the a non-binding uh, letter of intent, perhaps, and before you do, do the deal close, that you're out there doing listening, you're doing perhaps like some focus groups out in your community to say, what's most important for you to preserve? What's most important for you to have in your local healthcare provider here? What's important for us to know? So you can make sure that you are communicating that back throughout this whole process on, okay, we heard that these top three things were the most important for you to retain here. We're going to get that, or you realize you're not going to get that. And so that's perhaps an inflection point to make that decision. Yeah. And then if it's after the integration, after you, you close the deal, it might be a year into the integration. First off, I mean, in order for integration to go well, you have to start on day one doing that hard work of making sure that you have a steering committee and work groups on every single process that you're going to be working through with with members of the organization and members of your new partner organization, working through that and then communicating what those changes are going to be to the impacted departments, the impacted people, and then at large. If you're not doing that, and that's hard, that is actually really hard work. If you're not doing that hard work from the very beginning, you're not going to have an easy integration. So day one, you need to be doing that. If you're into this for a year and you feel like just the cultures don't fit, things aren't going well, then, I mean, you're just going to need to have those tough conversations with the acquiring partner. Well, what can we do to make sure that this goes right? And if, if there isn't anything happening there, then... You need to make that tough decision. What about situations where, and and I just very recently saw this, um, 
and I won't give any details about where, so no one can try to go figure it out because we don't want to be um, dissing anybody too uh, too directly on here. But very recently, um, there is a rural hospital somewhere in America that um, <laughs> is uh, probably three or four years ago was acquired by a system, and that system now three four years in decided to close the birthing center, the birthing unit, the obstetrics unit in that town um, at that hospital that they acquired. Um, The employees were notified via email and the community was basically just hit out of nowhere with this. It was very unexpected. Um, And the, in the media, I mean, the messaging from that system and JJ has read it. He knows exactly what I'm talking about, which is why he's like kind of giggling over there. Um, the, the message is basically, well, a lot of rural hospitals close their OB units, which is like, that's not a justification for what's going on. And then after that, it's like, and there's going to be a lot of great new prenatal and postpartum care. And it's like, okay, but that's not the issue. People need a place to give birth. And the conversation that's happening is basically... It, it, it has become and feels to the community abundantly clear that, like, the system does not care about our community. So when, if you are the rural hospital who that decision has come down from on high, but you're still running that facility day to day, how do you manage that with your, the employees you have? Because, I mean, now you have the, the, the staff of that unit that basically overnight have to start looking for a job, Right. Um, because I mean, and the notice I think was like maybe three or four weeks before the close date of that unit that they were notified. So how do you manage that if you're still there on the ground as part of the local leadership for that hospital? Yeah. And I mean, I can only speak to the communication, you know, aspect of that. Um, but, but it all, we can push back at at some point too. You know, if you're told that you're going to be closing OB services and, and we we're told that we need to communicate that, um, and they say it's going to happen on this day, you know, I would, I would insert myself into those operational, you know, conversations that they're having, because I'm sure there's some kind of work group that's working on this to talk about, okay, what are we actually doing here? And what is the right cadence to actually be able to communicate this? And what's the actual right um, way to do this where, okay, we understand we're doing it, but can we do it over time? Can we, can it be a slower role? Can we let our employee? We have to let our employees know in per, in face to face. I mean, that's a uh, we can't we can't tell our employees over no, right. No. Um, so uh, we there was there's a few things there where I would significantly push back. Some who have worked there for decades, by the way, like to work somewhere for decades and then get an email that yeah. says the unit that you work in and have built your career yeah. in is closing. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Out. Have a great day. Yeah. You know. Bad. And it's a tough, no matter what, that message is going to be a tough message, yeah, right? It is. Um, and right. At the end of the day, it's still going to be really hard, but how can we do it in a way that's a little bit more um, authentic to who we are um, to to make sure that we are taking care of our people as best that we can? Um, I would continue to, to have those conversations with your your partner, right? This is your partner. Yeah. Um, to, And mm-hmm. I, I think... And I, I, I don't know what this situation is, but um, I, I would try to insert myself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to I know my community. I know how we should be communicating this. Let's talk about how the best way to, to make this happen in a way where we can mitigate some risk. 
Right, right. And it seems to me like the the if that message and that communication lacks empathy, then there's no there's no potential, you know, getting through it without massive losses in terms of trust of your your community. But even if it's one of those things where and maybe even internally, this decision comes down and you fight it the best you can, but you have no control anymore because of how, you know, that the nature of that partnership was was created that then you at the very least have to be empathetic and you can't just say this is better everybody because for a lot of people it's not better for most people it's not better but how do how do you walk that line between being empathetic and saying yeah this was a bad idea but it, it is what's happening you know and it, it's like you can't be so radically honest that you're now in conflict with the decision that's been made because you still ultimately have a a level of responsibility to, you know, go with what those decisions ultimately are, even when they're out of your control. But how do you how do you balance that? Kind of like the thing people always say, like, if you're if there's a case of potential liability, never apologize, because then that'll be used against you in a court of law kind of thing. But how do you balance that empathy piece with the reality of it's still going to change? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just it. You have to. Um it sounds like uh, maybe AI wrote this email uh, that, <laughs> that went up to the, the employees because um, it lacks information and it's just a, a wrapping paper on what's actually, you know, happening here. You know, I think that we can show our emotion as C-suite leadership. Um, mm -hmm. We can say this is a tough decision. This isn't this came out of um, considerable thought. This isn't something that we wanted to do. This wasn't an outcome that we that we were hoping for. Um, this is what this is, but this is where we find ourselves today. You know, talking about how um, this is you know just a, a situation that no one wants to go through, and we understand that this is a service our community needs, um, but it's just not something that we can continue to offer anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also just treating our employees with the respect that they they've earned and deserved having that face-to-face -face communication with them. Are we finding positions with them within right. the health exactly. system? I bet that there's probably something there that we can do to help them either within our health system or another healthcare provider mm -hmm. or another job network. Um, how are we treating our people with respect? Mm -hmm. And the critical, critical nature of teamwork and teams. I want to, I want to focus on that just for a minute. Um, and I don't want to be cliche here, but the power of the team is, is pretty amazing. Uh, and much needed in times of acquisitions, mergers, uh, or big announcements. Doesn't even have to be an M and A. Just big announcements like Rachel just explained. Um, so let's talk a little bit about when we're engaged in messaging, uh, and you know we have to discuss and release uh, information relative to changes in an organization, even though they may not even be major changes. Even even telling, you know, um, a department that they're not going to have access to use a room that they once were using for patient care, I've watched that explode here uh, and how it was not properly rolled out, learning from that. But it's typically when decisions are made in silos mm -hmm. by usually a leader, you know, the C-suite who says, nope, just do it. And that wish is just carried on and said, nope, JJ said, just do it. And there's no why. There's no information shared. And I didn't include team members to tell me, 
that was really stupid, JJ, because here are the consequences of that. So my question to you in change management as we talk about it, um, in, in, in poor change management, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about how you manage those type of messages. So why is it important to have a strong change management team versus just coming down because JJ said it? Uh, and what recommendation would you give to a leader today who's considering a change in the organization? And it could be as big as selling it or as small as moving patients around in an area where they've been moving for quite some time. Yeah, um, you, you said something there that kind of, I wrote a little note as you were saying it, because oftentimes if you just, as an administrator, say, we're going to make this change, just do it. Close that room. What needs to happen first and foremost, and this is a shout out to my communications colleagues out there, communications has got to have a seat at the table. Yep. And they also have to have a voice. Yep. Because yes, we understand we're going to make this operational change, but let's talk about let's let the communications person in to talk about the risks and the barriers that they see. We're not saying no, but we're just saying, let's do it in the right way. And we off, we can offer some advice on how to do this to mitigate risk, to mitigate risk to our reputation, to our people and other things. Change is never easy, no matter if it's big or small. And we talked about this in the last session as well, but change does impact people in different ways, um, d- depending on, you know, what, what, kind of announcement it is, but we need to do that hard work um, to meet people where they are, like I mentioned earlier, instead of just having them work for it, right? Mm -hmm. We need to go to the units. We need to be doing the rounding. We need to let them in because they, um, we don't want them to feel like they're being left behind in all of this. Um, You know, you're successful when your retention is high, when people aren't leaving, Uh, your reputation is preserved. People in the community are talking about how great you are and are utilizing your services. And at the end of the day, those are the things that you're really looking for. Um, and it's, it is hard work and it also takes just a lot of, a lot of listening. So, you know, talking about what we're, we're changing here, um, getting our message out, getting our message right, but then also sitting back and listening and then just asking, well, how does that make you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and listening. And we might not have the answer. We might not have the answer that you want. Yeah, we may not. But at least we're we're trying to have those tough conversations. That's right. That's right. So critical. Well, Rachel, uh, any other questions that you have? I know we covered a lot. I mean, I probably could have a million other questions. I know. But uh, we're going to run out of time. So I think we went over a lot of really a lot of really good stuff, though. And the only thing I think I would add to what Letitia just said is, for me at least. As, a, as the communications person with the seat at the table, and JJ, you can attest to this, I ask a lot of questions because I feel like that's the best way to try and understand the situation in order to be able to make those recommendations. And there are going to be times where the communications person asks a question that everyone else is like, oh, yeah, let's think about that yep. in, a, in a slightly different way now. And it can kind of change the trajectory of how something gets done. And so whether it's your communications person or anybody else, you need to have, I feel like your, um, your curious person at the table. It could be anybody, it could be HR, it could be someone from any part of your team, but someone that's going to ask questions. And we're fortunate at Hillsdale that we have a leadership team that welcomes questions and answers those and isn't, you know, doesn't have the sort of, well, this is, I already said, this is what we're going to do. We're having a discussion about how to do it, not why or, you know, what these other issues are, blah, 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 that that 
a dialogue has to be very open, I think, to be able to build that plan out in a successful way. Agree. All right. Well, listen, our time is upon us, hard to believe right now. And you are one of our favorite uh, return guests. We just, <laughs> Letitia, it's always great to hear your perspective. A lot of changing times for hospitals across this country. And um, I just want them to know right mm-hmm, now, if you're listening, mm-hmm. you're not alone. Um, there are companies, organizations, and consultants uh, like Letitia's who can provide you the necessary information that you can obviously have a successful integration. Uh, if it's even little change management items that you feel, you know, we really just need to get a different perspective. Um, that's where a consultant uh, like Letitia comes in and they can provide amazing resources to you. Why? Because they've done it. They have the bench strength. They have the depth of information of knowing where were the pitfalls in the last deal? Where were the challenges in that one community that's similar to the community we're working with? Don't feel that you're alone. Uh, Number one, I think the advice today is surround yourself with a good team. And a good team is not a yes team. You know, my team today is far from a yes team. Uh, It's a team that provides pushback, challenges. (laughs) No, you shouldn't do it that way. Uh, Lots of input, which I encourage. And the right people around the table is necessary. So, um, you know, pushing yourself in that. And sometimes it just requires bringing in someone else who knows about the industry and who knows how to successfully brand that message. So uh, there are organizations such as Letitia's that we're going to be putting in the um, uh, information box here that you can uh, contact. Yes, Gerard's info is all in the show notes. So check them out, reach out to uh, her if you have uh, specific questions and uh, looking for that type of engagement could really save you a lot of heartache, a lot of challenges, and potentially uh, the cost of a deal. Uh, and in that you want to make sure that it's done appropriately and uh, that, that both parties have a successful marriage for a very long time for their respective communities. So once again, thanks for joining us today, uh, Letitia, on Rural Health Rising. It's been a pleasure to have you back, and we look forward to your next visit, which Rachel will get scheduled here into the future. Well, thank you so much, JJ. That was incredibly kind. Um, I love talking with y'all, and it's uh, been a lot of fun. Wonderful. So before we close, we love to do a fun segment on each of our podcasts, and we want to know, uh, your you know, rural experiences are important, and those that are listening across this country may never even have had a chance uh, to step on rural soil, okay, and to be in a rural community. So we want to know, our listeners want to know, what is your most rural experience or something that's memorable to rural life for you? I love this segment. Uh, Last time I talked about the lake life at my cabin up in in northern Michigan. And I was thinking about this on my on my drive home last night um, because one of my colleagues went up to to Traverse City for the weekend and had asked me for some advice and places to go. I told her she had to go get smoked fish at Fishtown and eat the walleye out of the lake. And it just it reminded me of um, all my fond memories, actually, of small town festivals. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the in the Tri Cities, uh, so I went to the Walleye Festival in Freeland, the Corn Festival oh in Auburn, oh my. Where, where I went to high school. My um, the Bavarian Festival in Frankenmuth. I mean, you cannot, you can't beat those small town festivals. Um, you know, just chilling with your friends, absolutely, and your neighbors, you know, absolutely eating fish fry and all that. So, so. the Frankenmuth isn't that the fun one? I tell you. <laughs> The Bavarian Festival yes. is incredible. Yes, it is. It is amazing. And you know that the, just a side note here, uh, just a few months ago, the original owner, she passed away. 
of the Bavarian oh, Inn, no. yeah, um, that really founded that entire area. Um, so it's uh, it's a beautiful area, and what wow. a legacy it what was. What a legacy! But that yeah. is, those are the the memories, and I guarantee you that if you were to step back on those streets today, it would just bring back so much nostalgia of like, wow, I remember what this is. So that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story today. It's been great to have you on Rural Health Rising. Thanks, JJ. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com. 